Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 16 One Need Not Be a Prophet. After the first task, after the congratulations from professors and friends and even a few other classmates, Hermione was able to pull herself away from the throng and regroup with Fleur and Victor. Madame Pomfrey confirmed, again, that there were no unintended consequences to the potions which they'd brewed, and then the three of them went down to Hogsmeade. This was mostly because it wasn't a Hogsmeade weekend, and so most of the school couldn't follow them down there but a little bit because Hermione still wasn't comfortable eating the elf-made food. It was only the second time that Victor had gone to Hogsmeade, while Fleur and especially Hermione were well acquainted with the village at that point, so the two of them took turns playing the tour guide. Hermione knew every shop up and down High Street, of course, from Dervis and Banji's to the carriage house, apart from what the school required, the demand for Thestral-drawn carriages must have been low because, according to Victor, only one Thestral was hooked up at the moment. He sounded cheerful enough when he said it, but Hermione still thought it would be awfully impolite to ask why he could see Thestrals. She might as well have said, so who died? When they wound past High Street, Fleur told them both about the shack on the mound, which was running through a series of new names. Roughly ten years ago, it had been purchased by a werewolf named Randall Shaw, who turned the shack into a night school for adult werewolves. Riddle's reforms had ensured that Lupin would not be the only werewolf to be educated at Hogwarts, only the last who would need to hide what he was, but that did nothing to help grown werewolves, few of whom had gotten more than an elementary education in magic. Shaw had tried to rebrand it, first as the Scholastic Shack, and then bowing to the power of alliteration, the Shaw Shack. But a fair number of the locals resisted with their own names, calling it Shaky, Shoddy, or Shaggy. Very briefly, Fleur explained Shaw considered the Shifting Shack, then realized that left it open to be called the Shifty Shack. Others continued to call it the Shrieking Shack, then said it was ill-conceived to redeem the odd place at all. Fleur didn't entirely understand why, because few of the werewolves themselves were all that concerned with it, but according to Hogwarts of history, the mound on which the shack sat was a burial mound, the How of Halmednach. It had been old in the days of Dalrieta, and ancient when the founders settled here, and the village which grew in its shadow had paid the mound their respect and given it space, even before there was a shack to shriek there. Hermione was able to elaborate, or lecture maybe, on the older history of Hogsmeade when they had a light dinner at Madame Puddyfoot's. They shared a cheese platter, and Hermione had a salad with anchovies. "'So you can see the Thestrals,' Fleur said. "'How did that happen?' "'Fleur!' Hermione exclaimed, horrified and not a little embarrassed just for being present. "'It is all right, it is not much of a tale,' Victor said. "'At Durmstrang Institute, there are these dogs which are descended from the crops raised by Nerida Volkanova, the founder of our school. They live in the village near Durmstrang, and, like owls or elves, they carry out various tasks. Anyway, I like dogs, and the dogs, they like us.' And there was one in particular who liked me very much. Her name was Svinetsjot, but she became old, as it goes with dogs, and... He shrugged. There are wild thestrals where my father's cousin live, always stealing the lambs and causing damage to the property. 
and the summer after when I visited I could see the Thestrals. She was a dog? Hermione asked. A good one, yes, Victor said. She always knew when there was something I needed of her and would find me before I could look for her. But how was that supposed to work? Hermione had never thought all that much about Thestrals, if she were going to be honest with herself. But if she had been asked, she would have said that she would have to see another human die in order to see a Thestral. It wouldn't have been very surprising to hear that the death of a goblin or a centaur would work just as well, since they were also people. But Hermione was also very sure that the death of a squirrel or even a pig someone had butchered would not work. Wild Thestrals could be a nuisance, as Victor had mentioned, and much of that had to do with the fact that not everyone could see them. Where did a dog fit into that? Perhaps it was enough that he loved her very much. Hermione asked as tactfully as she could, but neither Victor nor Fleur could supply a definitive answer, and their conversation soon turned to other topics. "'Did you happen to see Vicente as we left?' Fleur asked as their meal wore down. She smiled. "'I did not hear everything, but from what I gather, Samara had charged him with keeping Lackenbach occupied while she dashed back to get a copy of Darkest Desret so that Lackenbach could sign it.' "'What is Darkest Desret?' interrupted Victor. A pulp adventure novel. Samara goes through those books like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Hermione said. I thought that uh, Lackenbelch wrote Boschen's textbooks, Victor said, and Hermione realized belatedly that she and Fleur had previously discussed the matter in French. Oh, right. I spoke with Fleur about it after Griffiths introduced him, but I left you out of that conversation, didn't I? Hermione said. I'm sorry, it really didn't occur to me. It is no problem. You speak beautiful French, Victor said. At any rate, Fleur cut in, Lackenberg writes many things, both fiction and non-fiction. They returned to the grounds at Hogwarts after dinner, and for all that her mind's eye was almost blind, it was not hard to imagine Victor walking with a dog at his side, trudging through the snowy streets of some unplottable Scandinavian village, heading for the cozy lights of a heated cabin. Durmstrang probably wasn't like that at all, but it made a nice picture, so to speak. When Fleur and Hermione got back to the carriage, there was a small celebration there, with watermelon tarts and spectral Baroque music playing on a record. It was lovely, but it was also a little much after the day she'd had, and Hermione was more pleased than anybody, except maybe Fleur, to go to bed. Hermione awoke that night with pain in her stomach, like a hot coal had been placed inside while she was asleep. It burned and bit at her and her stomach seemed to twist around on itself while the fire rose within her and she grew nauseous. Quickly, Hermione became aware that she wasn't going to keep her dinner down. She had just enough time to push herself to the edge of the bed and vomit, belly down and facing the floor. Her dinner splattered below her, and for a moment Hermione thought it was finally over. Then her stomach contracted and she vomited again and again, her body empty but still on fire, until something small but hard, like an apricot pit worked its way out through her throat, and clattered on the floor. Hermione took a moment to catch her breath, then reached out a weakened arm for her wand. Her first attempt at a vanishing charm had little effect, so she waited until her hand steadied and did it again, but something small still gleamed in the moonlight that shone through her window. It was too far for her to reach, but by the illumination of her wand light, Hermione was able to make out a small silver sphere, not too far off from a snitch. Her eyes adjusted to the light, and she saw that it was inscribed with tiny writing. "'Congratulations, Triwizard Champion,' she read. 
solve me. It was a puzzle then, some sort of follow-up to the first task, Hermione decided, and then realizing what that meant, she pushed herself out of the bed, never mind her aching bones, her weak limbs, the taste of acid in her mouth, and pushed herself to the next room over, where Fleur knelt, almost laying down her elbows on the floor as she, too, was gripped by illness. Hermione would have said something, but her throat hurt too much for words. Instead, she withdrew, moving as quickly as she could without tripping over herself, to the gallopant, where she found a paragoric potion and a measuring cup. When she returned, which might have taken seconds or minutes for all Hermione could tell the passage of time, Fleur was done and was sitting against the side of her bed, while a silver orb gleamed amidst the mess before her. Still unable to speak, Hermione crouched beside Fleur and poured out some of the potion into a cup that she handed to Fleur, who looked up at her, questioningly, perhaps wondering if Hermione had taken any yet. Hermione was well acquainted with that expression, but under the force of Hermione's glare, which she at least felt was intimidating but might well have been pitiful for all she knew, Fleur took the cup and drank. "'Now you?' Fleur said, her voice raspy, but for all that— still musical. Maybe I'd already taken some, Hermione would have said, if she could have said anything at all, but she couldn't, so she took a sip of her potion, and then she said it. I know you, Fleur said, all but rolling her eyes, and as Hermione drank what was left in her vial, Fleur transfigured a white scarf into a glove, then pulled up her silver globe, still caked in vomit. She rolled it around a little, enough to wipe some away on her makeshift glove. "'There's something written on you?' "'Congrats, now solve me?' asked Hermione. Fleur nodded as she vanished away the mess on the floor. "'That's what mine said, too,' Hermione said. "'And together we have two? "'Perhaps each is different. What is wrong?' Fleur suddenly asked. "'But it's a tournament thing, isn't it? "'Victor must have gotten sick as well.' Hermione looked away out the window— in the distance, she could see a black shape that she was pretty sure was the Durmstrang ship. Do you think a blindfolded owl could still fly? What? They don't... What are you asking for? They are not bats. They do not echolocate. You're right, it'd probably hit something. Well, I could probably swim with a blindfold if I had to. Fleur stared at her. If you intended to drown, perhaps, and what would be the purpose anyway? To see Victor, I mean, to see how he's doing. There is a basilisk in the Black Lake. We were told this on our first night. Hence the blindfold. Fleur sighed. Victor will be fine. He has Dimitri, does he not? He does. It just seems uh, impolite to not even ask how he's doing, or to let him know that we're all right. He has to have figured out that we'd be in the same spot, too. Victor had, as it turned out. Each orb had the same message as the others and the same color, which did suggest weakly that they were similar. But on Victor's advice, they were keeping their orbs separate from each other. If together something good may happen, but something bad may happen instead, he said when they met the next day. Until we know more, we should be cautious. With that in mind, they proceeded to investigate their puzzle balls. Fleur tried cracking one open like an egg. That didn't open the orb, but fortunately, it didn't seem to damage the orb either. Outcome neutral. Hermione put one in water. Outcome neutral. Victor scraped an orb very gently with a knife. 
This secured a few shavings, but also damaged the knife in a way which was difficult, albeit not impossible, to repair with magic, outcome mixed. While it wasn't out of the question that the solution was to simply cut the damn things open, Hermione was vaguely reminded of the Gordian Knot, which seemed the sort of story that Riddle would appreciate. It didn't seem prudent to pursue further structural damage just yet. There were a couple more months and change until the second task, and they still hadn't determined whether each orb contained unique information. Hermione hadn't been sure what the point of that might be, but Victor pointed out that the judges probably expected them to be at odds with each other, in which case stealing extra clues might give the thief an advantage. And if there was additional information to be had from each orb, there was no telling whether that information might be damaged if they opened the orb with brute force. Only a few days later, Hermione encountered an unexpected problem— Hermione wasn't there for the announcement, she was still taking her meals at Hogsmeade, but Riddle had apparently gotten up and said something about a ball on Christmas, which, as one of the champions, Hermione would be expected to attend. "'It will start at eight o'clock in the evening,' Fleur explained when Hermione next met up with her. Hermione groaned, "'Why did nobody tell us about this? We did read about the Yule Ball. Did you not expect it to be revived?' "'No! What reason would Riddle have for bringing back the Yule Ball?' It has been a part of the Triwizard Tournament since 1382. What reason would Riddle have not to bring it back? I don't know what he wants with the tournament, but I don't see how the Yule Ball figures into any of the possibilities, Hermione said, scowling. Maybe he just wanted to watch Hermione suffer. The first task had given him plenty of material, if that were the case, but any suffering over the Yule Ball would be more abstract. Maybe Riddle likes to dance, Fleur suggested, though her serious tone was belied by her smile. If Riddle actually dances at the Yule Ball, I'll eat my shoes. Then perhaps Riddle is not the sole arbiter of what goes on in the tournament, Fleur pointed out. There are two other schools in attendance. That was fair. Hermione could admit that it was a little paranoid to be reading Riddle's intentions into every detail of the tournament. Perhaps he simply didn't care enough to put a stop to it. And if Hermione were going to count her blessings, at least she didn't have to worry about fending off suitors. She had already caught a few glances toward Fleur that suggested that her mentor might have to introduce a few Hogwarts students to a choice French hex or two, but even if she didn't care that the champions were expected to dance, Fleur was probably going to go with somebody, and Hermione didn't think it would be appropriate to go alone when Fleur was shackled up. Victor, however, had a solution, which he presented as soon as they had another meeting of the champions. "'I was thinking that we should go to the Yule Ball together. All three of us.' Victor explained. "'That's a great idea,' Hermione's mouth said almost immediately, before her brain had fully processed his suggestion. But she couldn't feel too bad about it. Her brain agreed quite strongly. "'That is very unorthodox,' Fleur said. "'You are fifteen. That is a little young to be dating anyone so old.' Her eyes shifted to Victor, glaring daggers into his soul, and he made a nervous smile. It wasn't obvious whether Hermione ought to feel pleased or annoyed at Fleur's response, so she had the inconvenience of feeling both those things. "'It's not really a date, though,' Hermione said, though she wasn't sure if that was so. "'And besides, it'll uh, show solidarity, won't it?' she added, trying to back-rationalize this position that she had put herself in. And why had she put herself in it? "'Baby steps, Ellie, baby steps.' Probably to keep Fleur from the bother of dealing with would-be suitors, that sounded right. "'That is exactly what Dimitri was saying,' said Victor. "'And how do you propose that we behave at the Yule Ball?' Fleur crossed her arms. "'Will I try to waltz with both of you at once?' 
Actually, there is being a dance for just this sort of occasion, Fekchi said. It is a Russian dance meant for three partners, not two or four. Probably we should practice it some, but dancing as three will be no problem. And what about showing up as three? Do you think that will not stir a rumor? We have demonstrated unity in the first task. We will merely be demonstrating it again, Fekchi said confidently. It does not need to be anything more than that. But it could be. Fleur said, more harshly than Hermione thought was warranted. I think that this whole idea is entirely improper. Because Victor is eighteen, Fleur, that's only three years. Seventeen would be too old as well. Eighteen is worse yet. Well, I don't think so. And moreover, I think that Victor's idea is splendid. So I'm going to dance with him at the Yule Ball. I don't have to be mentored on everything, Hermione said, and then, more softly, You are welcome to dance with me too. Fleur frowned and briefly glared at Victor once more before returning her focus to Hermione. "'Very well, we will dance together,' Fleur said before she abruptly changed the topic to those silver orbs whose solution yet eluded them. Hermione was a little flustered, but it was hard to shake her feeling of victory. Fleur rarely backed down on a matter of principle, even a principle as bizarre as this fixation on age differences. Three years was hardly anything, Hermione was certain of it. After some testing, the orb shavings proved to be made of lustrous white gold. Outcome, progress. Furthermore, when subjected to aqua regia, the shavings dissolved. Outcome, promising. But when Victor placed a whole orb in a vessel of aqua regia, the orb spun, shook, and screamed. Outcome, negative? At least Hermione was able to make meaningful progress on occlumency. After memorizing her thousand words from A Comprehensive History of the Triwizard Tournament, Hermione had been trying to make her mental recitation of the text effortless and reflexive. She thought of those words when she arose in the morning, and when she went down to bed at night, when she ate her meals, and when she walked back up from Hogsmeade with an expanded pouch full of Hogsmeade goods. Hermione hadn't yet reached perfection, but she could feel herself improving, and Dimitri agreed with her. Of course, learning to use occlumency is maybe easier than learning not to use it, Dimitri said in the middle of one lesson. What do you mean? asked Ron. Isn't the point to use it? Theo didn't take too long to get what Dimitri was saying. Perhaps it had to do with studying dark magic. Sometimes it's possible to do something too much, or when you don't need to, he said, and Dimitri nodded. Greater downside to occlumency is that you are lying to yourself. People are how they pretend to be, and occlumency is learning to be very good at pretending, so you are a different person. Sometimes a little different, sometimes a lot different. Dimitri sipped pensively from his flask, perhaps trying to get a moment in which to collect his thoughts and translate them from Russian or Norwegian or whatever it was he'd grown up speaking. It was difficult for Hermione to place his accent. When it is easy to tell lies to yourself, sometimes you are telling lies that are only easy, not necessary. Or because you are being good at not thinking about things and not even noticing that you are not thinking of them, you do not think of things that trouble you. You decide to become other person because other person is being easier. After that session, Hermione stayed behind for a little bit, while Dimitri and Ron debated on some minor regulatory difference that had arisen between British and international Quidditch during the interdict. She wrote a letter to her grandparents at a transfigured desk. Perhaps because Hermione had been deceiving them in some capacity ever since she went to France, it was easier to write to them than to her parents and sister. Until this year, the most she had done was put on a strong face and pretend that things were better than they were, and really that had only been for a few years while she was studying at Petit Beau. 
Finally, Dimitri and Ron's unintelligible discussion had ended, and Hermione could get a word in edgewise. Dimitri, could you hold up for a minute? Of course. How may I be of your service? I want to get a Christmas present for Victor, Hermione explained after Ron left. I mean, I'm going to get a present for Fleur as well, but I know her already. Anyway, I know her better than... Anyway, you're Victor's friend, and I thought you would know what Victor would like. Dimitri put a finger to his chin and thought. You are liking the books, he said at first, as if Hermione's interests had any bearing on this. Victor is studying, how do you say, transformation? No, it is transfiguration, yes? Dimitri asked. But before Hermione could reply, he went on. Victor is studying this, intends to make a mastery of it, find him interesting book on transfiguration, or, how you say, alchemia. You speak Portuguese now? Hermione asked, a little dubiously. And Dimitri shrugged. I am knowing some different languages. So un poco, but enough for what I am needing, Dimitri said. And he batted away Hermione's attempts to discover just what he needed it for. It was just one more mystery, and Hermione had plenty of other things on her to-do list. Blogana, Lackenberg, and Professor Feo had departed shortly after the first task, but, like the judges of the second triumvirate, one of them would show up every few days. Eventually, Hermione had the opportunity to meet with Professor Feo, or rather, Feo sought her out. "'Is this about the correspondence work that I've been doing?' asked Hermione, who had begun to worry from the very moment she heard that Feo wanted to meet with her. "'I can study harder,' she tried to assure Professor Feo. Feo made no attempt to hide her amusement. "'Your work is fine. But are you fine?' "'I—I uh, I don't understand,' Hermione admitted. "'You performed very well.' during the first task, but that does not mean that you are not under an immense amount of pressure, Feo said. Not only the tournament, but in your additional studies. It is a lot for a young girl. I'm fine, Hermione assured her, and tried to let the young girl comment slide. Feo was almost ninety. Feo would probably call her that whether she was fifteen or twenty-five. All right, Feo said, but I will have you know that I have decided to admit you into my class next year, regardless of your studies up until then. So if you must choose between studying alchemy and maintaining a healthy mind, you should choose the latter. I do not want you to suffer because your load is too heavy, and I believe that your academic history and your studies thus far are evidence that you will be able to catch up as necessary. Thank you, Professor Feo. Is there anything else that I can do for you? Hermione thought about it for a moment. As a matter of fact, there is. Could you recommend any books on alchemy that might be of interest to an advanced learner, perhaps someone who has just graduated with an SI in alchemy and wants to continue their studies? The next time Hermione went down to Hogsmeade, she sent an order by Alpost to Bourbon Bouquin in Vidis, then searched Grippingahand for something for Fleur, and acquired another selection of Honeyduke's candy for Miranda. The rest of that December passed with something approaching placidity, after Vicente mentioned that the Hogwarts elves were visiting the carriage to take laundry and tidy up, Hermione made an extra attempt to keep her things clean. She even learned a few charms to take care of her clothes and a nifty spell that would organize all her things for her. Meanwhile, Adalia insisted that Hermione practice dueling. It was cold outside, and dueling left her bruised and sore, but her options were limited. When Hermione didn't practice, Idalia would show up in unexpected places and pelt her with enchanted snowballs to test her reflexes. 
Hermione had won support from some of the Hogwarts students with her showing at the first task, but others continued to bother her. Hermione was currently ahead in their arms race of spells and counterspells, so the current weapons of choice were unquiet whispers and crudely drawn leaflets like the one that called her Mrs. Sable. It didn't matter. Neither did the red phoenixes that sometimes showed up in her bag, once again cordially requesting her presence at Riddle's office. There were more important things, like the approach of Christmas and the Yule Ball. She had presents to wrap and dances to practice. Victor was teaching Fleur and Hermione how to dance the Troika, and Fleur, in return, was teaching Victor the Russian waltz, which had really been French for the past century and a half. On Christmas Eve, the champions met again, this time for private festivities. Dimitri was there as well, which was a mild surprise to Hermione and Fleur, and he had brought alcohol, which was a surprise only to Victor. "'Le dog me Victor exclaimed. "'It is only wine,' Dimitri said. He waved the bottle a little, and its soft blue contents sloshed. Flit, tell him it is only wine. Oh, and brandy, he added, patting his bag. But that is not for drinking. Fleur, nonplussed, relayed the message. I am really not sure why you are concerned, Victor. You have never had wine like this, Victor said, looking at Dimitri with wide eyes as if his friend were about to guzzle poison. Fleur, he... "'Always is a little drunk. I do not know if you want him to be more drunk. He may get sick, yes, and get sick on our shoes.' Fleur's eyes lit up. Oh, "'Don't worry about that. A little vanishing charm will take care of any accidents,' she said. Victor said something short and sharp-sounding to Dimitri. They talked back and forth for a minute or so, and Victor seemed almost heated, though Hermione couldn't understand a thing that they were saying. When they stopped, Victor's shoulders slumped while Dimitri smiled and uncorked the wine. When everyone had been poured a glass, Victor raised his in the air. "'To our collective victory at the first task,' said Victor. "'And to wine!' Dimitri added enthusiastically, and then they drank. Hermione had drunk wine before, but only a little at any one time, and nothing like the soft blue stuff that Dimitri had bought. It was earthy and a little like spinach, but not exactly bad.' and lingered in a way that seemed to reach beyond taste. "'What is this?' she asked. "'Nettle wine,' Dimitri answered, and after he had drunk his first glass and poured himself another, he removed a frying pan from his bag and set it on the floor. "'I heard of this game from some of the Hogwarts students. It is being called Snapdragon, and they will all of them be playing it tonight, or most of them. The fun among them,' Dimitri finally settled upon. "'Remind me if you could be pouring this, please,' he said." and he passed her a bottle of toasty warm brandy. "'Why can't you?' she asked, not a little suspicious. "'Because I will be doing other things,' Dimitri replied. He drew a few lines in the air with his wand, and at once every fire in the room went out, and they were all cast in darkness. A moment later the tip of his wand glowed white, and Hermione could see again, if barely. As instructed, Hermione poured the brandy into the pan— Dimitri handed a bag over to Fleur, who spilled its contents, peanuts and raisins, into the pan. Then Dimitri took the pan by its handle and gave the contents a few tosses. Miraculously, or more likely magically, nothing spilled. Dimitri sprinkled a three-fingered pinch of fine powder over the pan, and then put the tip of his wand to the pan's center. Blue fire spread out from Dimitri's wand, which he quickly yanked away. As flames crackled and flared with gold— Dimitri reached in a hand and plucked out a raisin. It disappeared quickly into his mouth, blue crackling gold fire and all. "'Are those bluebell flames?' Hermione asked, though she could feel a hint of heat. 
Eh? Are being brandy flames, Dimitri said. With something special, he amended, as the ghostly blue flames took shapes suggestive of dragons, manticores, and more fantastic beasts. But mostly brandy flames. And they were supposed to just... Hermione looked at Dimitri, who nodded excitedly. Victor, frowning, nonetheless plucked out a peanut, and when Fleur followed suit, it seemed impossible for Hermione not to try her own hand at the game. This was a bad decision, which her fingers immediately regretted, but Hermione was well on her way to finishing her own first glass of wine, and it was only a few minutes before she convinced herself to try again, on the second attempt. It was still a bad decision, but it was also a fun decision, never mind the light burns, and off and on Hermione would continue to reach for a bit of fruit or a nut. Sometimes she regretted it for a little while, other times she made off with only the ghost of a burn. As the game went on, they filled the space and distracted themselves from their singed fingers with conversation. The differences in their school's curricula. They taught dark magic at Durmstrang, though the lessons were different than at Hogwarts. Lachenberg's pulp fiction career, which Dimitri was unaccountably interested in, and stories from their respective trips abroad. Victor, it turned out, had been to more countries than the rest of them put together. "'Why do you travel so much?' Hermione asked, while Fleur threw another pinch of salt on the flames to make them crackle and dance in gold. "'Victor plays on the national Quidditch team for Bulgaria,' Dimitri explained. "'Dimitri!' Victor exclaimed, sounding almost scandalized. "'What is the matter? They will not tell anyone?' he said, shrugging lazily. "'An entire country, where they've only recently begun to pay attention to world Quidditch again,' Dimitri added, now speaking to Hermione and Fleur. Victor has been in paradise. But surely someone in Britain has been paying enough attention to recognize, Hermione said. Some, Victor admitted. Mostly I just tell them that it is a different Victor Crumb. It is a common name, like Peter Petro of but I suppose that the secret is out amongst the two of you, Victor said. He frowned again at Dimitri, who was too busy pouring himself another glass of wine to notice. Fleur shrugged. "'I was already aware that you played for Bulgaria,' she said, a little coldly. "'I was sort of aware that Bulgaria had a national Quidditch team, I think, "'but I don't really pay attention to it,' Hermione said, and Victor brightened. "'I like Quidditch very much, but I would give anything to be able to play with a mask "'and have some peace when I am off my broom,' Victor sighed. "'But playing for Bulgaria is not all bad. There are many good parts, too.' "'Dimitri nudged Victor gently in the ribs.' "'Aren't there, though?' he said, grinning. "'Like those villa that you get to hang around?' Fleur glared at him. "'One of my grandmothers is a villa?' Oh, "'I didn't mean to offend you. Not that you're my type, anyway.' Dimitri sipped again from his glass and, unbalanced but narrowly keeping himself from toppling over, poked Fleur in the shoulder. "'But if you would, I wouldn't mind if you passed along my compliments to your grandmother, the one who sometimes has feathers,' Dimitri added unhelpfully. Gradually, the others shifted where they sat, uneasy and increasingly uncomfortable, as it became more and more apparent that there was no punchline coming. Victor, in particular, stared at him with a look of mixed astonishment and horror. "'It isn't that I don't appreciate their beauty, it's just that I prefer them when they are uh, the other way,' Dimitri explained. "'They have the most gorgeous plumage. It must be so soft.' "'They're a villa on the Bulgarian team.' Hermione asked innocently, trying to change the topic and unaware of what was to come. "'A little,' Victor said, with a hushed voice of a man who was aware he was speaking his own death warrant. "'In a manner of speaking—' "'In a manner of speaking,' Fleur repeated. 
grinding out the words as if she intended to puree them. Her hand tightened around the stem of her glass as if she were throttling it. "'They are the mascots?' she said, almost growling, and Hermione understood that she had, once again, made a bad decision. "'I've always thought it was strange,' Victor said, obviously searching for the words that would save him. "'There are many uh, practices that are... Uh, he looked desperately at Dimitri. "'Many backward practices,' Dimitri said. "'More wine?' he asked, holding up the bottle and leaning forward a little between Fleur and Victor. Desperately, Hermione tried to redirect the conversation again. "'Are you very good at Quidditch?' Hermione asked. She regretted it immediately. What national team would recruit bad players? But Dimitri seized on the question regardless. "'Victor is the best,' Dimitri said confidently. But Victor disagreed immediately. "'No, Rajnis Buzban was the best.' "'Never could I match Zenobia Kristoros Desvensky in her prime, either.' "'Of course you couldn't. Your grandparents hadn't been born, let alone you.' "'You know what I mean.' "'At any rate, she was thirty-six, then. But when Christoph Christoritz, when Zenobia was eighteen, she was not as good as you are now.' "'Maybe,' Victor allowed. "'But that does not mean I have the same potential.' "'Janze Janssen or even Felicianus Caprasso, they did not show great promise.' Then stagnared twenty-five or twenty-five Twenty-six, Dimitri said. And Jan Janssen couldn't hold a candle to you at eighteen. He could. He could not, Dimitri insisted. At fourteen you were better. Absolutely. The speeds were entirely different. Brooms weren't that much slower relative to snitches. At best, Janssen could have beaten you at sixteen, but no older than that. No, bludget of room speed was also worse. When playing against the Basquiskelenslage in 1830, Janssen dodged two bludger strikes. Took Blickschlag from third, said Victor, whose drunkenness and enthusiasm were increasingly getting in the way of his English. I would have been knocked off my broom by any one of them. Whether because the topic was Quidditch, or Victor's English was worsening, or Hermione was simply too drunk herself, she lost the thread of the conversation soon after that point. The next thing she knew, the flames were mere embers, and Fleur was helping her to her feet. When they left the castle, it was very dark outside. Fleur conjured dancing lights to illuminate the way, then walked back down to the carriage with Hermione. They were both a little shaky on their feet, and Hermione helped Fleur steady herself at least once, but Hermione leaned on Fleur much more than Fleur leaned on her. Back in her bedroom, Hermione kicked off a shoe, undid the top few buttons of her coat, then fell into bed and went to sleep without further ado. The next morning, Hermione awoke to Christmas. Lovely. And her very first hangover. Less lovely. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisite. The music is Amon Ra by Day's Witch under a Creative Commons license with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at sangabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.